The church puts before us today in our epistle lesson a parable from the days of Abraham 3,500 years ago. Abraham, as St. Paul reminds us, had two sons. The one son he had from his wife's maidservant, Hagar. That son's name is Ishmael. Abraham was 75 years of age when Ishmael was born. Ishmael was born in the natural way of a woman who was younger and apparently more able to conceive naturally than her mistress was. The son that God had promised, however, was born of Abraham's wife, Sarah, a free woman, as St. Paul puts it, and way past her childbearing days. This was a miraculous birth needing God's intervention. Isaac was born when Abraham was much closer to 100 years of age, and this intervention of God was in fulfillment of the special covenant and promise that God made with Abraham a great many years before. St. Paul uses the two sons as an allegory. Ishmael, who was of the bondwoman, was born according to the flesh, and Isaac of the free woman was born by promise. Allow me to use Father Keeble's words to explain the significance of St. Paul's usage of this allegory. Abraham represents Almighty God, the Father of all. Ishmael represents mankind in general, who are the children of God born, in, born after the natural way. Isaac represents the Christian people, God's children by adoption and grace. God's children because by a heavenly and spiritual union, they are made members of his only begotten son, born again of God, born of water and the spirit. The elder son is in bondage because until, the, until people are mystically united to Jesus Christ, they are in slavery under sin, death, and the devil. They are not free to obey God's holy commandments. They're trapped in their sins. Even if they have misgivings and some sense of what is right and what is wrong, they must confess as one did of old, the good that I would I do not, and the evil that I would not, that I do. Keeble continues to explain that the younger son Isaac is free because the children of Christ and of his church have power given them by his Holy Spirit to keep his commandments if they will. In our baptism, we are gifted with the Holy Spirit and we have the power of God to keep his commandments. And that is the beauty of living in the church. If, however, you choose to just go on sinning as if there was no help for it, I, I just can't stop sinning, then you are about making yourself a slave again. When God has made you free in Christ. Keeble puts it this way, those only are free indeed who stand fast in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made them free and do not suffer themselves to be again entangled with the yoke of the world, the flesh, and the devil. The children of the bondwoman, those that know not Christ, 
are most often quite content to be in slavery in their sins. Those that are children of the free woman, children of Christ and his church, the mother of us all, as we see in our lesson, we are free to serve God and to try with all our might to do so. No, we'll never reach perfection here on this side of our death, but there is actual growth to be had. There is actual maturity in Christ to be gained. There is actual purgation, illumination of the Holy Spirit, and union with Christ more and more. We must, my friends, be in one group or the other. Baptism puts us in the group of the children of the free woman. But we must then live as the baptized are to live. Which group will you be in, my friends? On which side will we be found in the end? Keeble notes that it is no small matter. It is for our life. And we have but a short time to choose in. Very quickly, he continues, the time is passing, at the end of which it will be too late for us to think of having any choice at all. If any of us say, I do not wish to choose, I don't want to think about it, I'll take my chances like so many others do, I want to live like I want, not like someone else wants. Did I get our age okay? Right? It's about me and my choices, my authentic self. Keeble warns for that person, the Holy Scriptures say very plainly and loudly, it cannot be so with you. You must make your choice. If you go on thinking to have no care about your soul, know that there is one close at hand who is all the while busy in destroying that soul, winding his net about it that it cannot escape. To say that you will not care for your soul, says Keeble, comes to just the same as if you had said, I will give my soul up to the hands of the devil. These old guys get pretty sharp, don't they? So my friends, we must trust God in faith and choose to behave as one of the family of God, a child indeed of God the Father. Why should we live in slavery after we've been freed? And it's helpful that St. Paul in our lesson gives us a way to understand which side we've chosen thus far. Are you about hurting the people of God or perhaps standing idly by while others while others hurt the people of God? Or are you being persecuted as a child of God? St. Paul says, But as he who was born according to the flesh then persecuted him who was born according to the Spirit, even so it is now. The reference of St. Paul is to Genesis chapter 21. So the child grew and was weaned, and Abraham made a great feast on the same day that Isaac was weaned. And Sarah saw that the son of Hagar the Egyptian 
that would be Ishmael, whom she had born to Abraham, she saw him scoffing. Says one scholar, the time of weaning is commonly believed to have been at the end of the second or third year during this time in history. And Abraham made a great feast the same day that Isaac was weaned. Literally, in the day of his weaning of, I, of the weaning of Isaac, probably, therefore, when Isaac was three years old, in Ishmael 17, they had a party. It is still customary in the East, says this scholar, to have a festive gathering at the time a child is weaned. So Ishmael, son of Hagar, who is probably 17 years of age, was mocking and scornful of the son of promise, Isaac. He ridiculed the banquet on the occasion of Isaac's weaning. St. Paul says that not much has changed. And I think we can see today the same reality. Not much has changed. Or rather that some things have changed a bit. The scorn heaped upon the children of promise has probably increased in our day. Father Keeble says this mockery of Ishmael, uh, this Ishmael's mockery was a type and token of the Jewish people, the children of the bondwoman, the synagogue, rejecting, mocking, persecuting, and murdering first the Lord Jesus and then his members, for which also the Jewish people were cast out of the Lord's house as Hagar and Ishmael from Abraham's. Jesus, of course, tells uh, his disciples, if you remember, he says, Remember the word that I said unto you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. Keeble again notes that the Jews and the heathen, both of them being children of the bondwoman, both in slavery to their sins, persecuted the Christians, the children of the free woman, from the very beginning. And so, he says, the noble army of martyrs grew, as you know, to a great number. And their blood was the seed of the church. It bare fruit a hundredfold. Of course, in our situation here in America, we are not talking about martyrdom, at least not yet, and hopefully it won't go that direction. But we are really talking about more and more scorn, and more and more, let's put it this way. When I was a child, being a Christian was normative. Not everyone was, but it was normative. And many people thought they were Christians because they were born in America. So that's just the normal thing. Today, I mean, when I was a child, there was no one of my friend group, not my peers at school, who had not been to church. They may not go regularly, but they've at least been with a friend. Today, out on the soccer field watching my kids play soccer 10 years ago, I strike up a conversation with a young couple, maybe in their 20s or even their, into their 30s. I say, well, do you have a church you attend? Oh, well, as if they'd never been asked that question, which they haven't. Actually, I've, I don't think I've ever been into a church. Now, that's also California. If you go back to Texas... It feels like when I was a kid in California. <laughs> but, and I have to say, as a clergyman, who is a Californian, so it probably taints my view, I appreciate the honesty. 
I know where they stand, they know where I stand. In Texas, it gets confusing pretty quickly. <laughs> oh yeah, I have a church. So now I've learned the follow-up question is, when's the last time you were at that church? Oh, or 10 years ago. Um, so we are talking about real scoffing and scorn heaped upon us and mockery. You might think that 2,000 years would be enough for such attitudes to die down, to diminish, for the world to find respect at least some level for this, the world's largest and most influential religion ever. It is not, however, the case that the scorn and mockery has died down. It, it continues, and Keeble notes in his day, 100... Wow, almost 200 years ago... Um, Keeble notes that there are some, there are the same church in the same world as ever, and these are contrary the one to the other. There can be no peace nor truce nor mutual agreement. The one sort cannot bear the other any more now than in our Lord's own lifetime. My friends, if we are idly standing by while the world mocks our fellow churchmen, or God forbid if we are actively participating in such scorning of our brothers, let us check our hearts immediately and see if we ought not repent of our willing enslavement to the world and to sin. Yes, I know that we might poke fun at each other, and there's a Christian comedian who pokes fun at all the Christians, and he kind of picks on each denominations and jurisdictions kind of particular weakness. Um, so he makes jokes about drinking beer for the Baptists and makes jokes about being overly serious for the Catholics. And, you know, and I'm not saying that, but true mockery, true, true scorn. Um, we ought to be shoulder to shoulder with our Baptist brothers and our Methodist brothers. Now, we're going to disagree about things, and that's fine. That's great. In fact, let's talk about it because maybe we'll all learn something. But we need to check our hearts to make sure that we're not allowing the world to heap scorn upon our brothers and sisters and standing idly by. Let us stand to protect them verbally, uh, logically. And it's okay to say, well, I would disagree on something here, but there's no reason to throw rocks, right? If the world around us does not look suspiciously at all of us, in these times that we are in. If we are not just a little bit weird, okay, a lot weird and different in this world, I'm afraid that we are probably not living the life we ought to live. We're probably trying to ride the fence to be a hipster over here, but to be a faithful Christian over here. You can be a hipster Christian, I've seen them, I'm not of the age, so I'm not impressed. But really, seriously, if we're living out our faith in any way, shape, or form in this culture, people ought to be going, they're a little different. Maybe you're very popular. People like your sense of humor. I'm not talking to you, Aiden. Um, but at some point, even though they like you, they're going to go, what's that all about? Well, they won't. Join us on that picnic on Sunday morning because they have to go to church? Come on. I mean, church, you've got to take a vacation from church once in a while, right? I don't see that in the pages of Scripture. 
So if we're not just looking a little weird to this world that we are in, check your heart. We're probably trying to hide the reality of our faith and our commitment to our Lord Jesus Christ and the implications of that in our lives. And if that's the case, then our commitment is probably not as big as it ought to be. If, however, we face those who openly mock and scorn our faith and our Lord, if that's what we're facing, not every day, but pretty consistently, then let us be cheerful. For we are Christ's, and our faith and our witness will in God's good time and in his way, let me tell you that, it's never my way. It's never my time. It's God's time and his way. It will prove to be a boon to the world around us, and it will help to call others to the worship of our triune God. God will use your witness. Don't be afraid of the mockery. I'm laughed at regularly. We ought to get used to it. I kind of smile and join in with them, and they're a little confused, which is a little, you know, it's a little bit fun. I may have shared this story with you before, but God's ability to use us is mightier than our ability to be used. When I was 16, I was driving, so at least 16, 17, a friend came to visit and I thought of him as a bit of a nerdy friend. My sister says, oh my gosh, you are such a nerd, it's unbelievable. But I was very much more hip than he was in my mind. He was my age, I knew him as a little child in our neighborhood, and he lived, I don't know, Louisiana maybe. Um, but he was going to come out for a visit. I said, okay, how long? My mom said a month. In summer, a month. Mom, he's a dweeb, he's a nerd. It's going to be so uncool to have this guy hanging around me. My mom, of course, hit me over the head and just said, be Jesus. I wasn't really Jesus. I brought him with me everywhere because my mom made me. Not because I was trying to be loving. I remember going swimming with him with one of my friends in a pool, which was very unusual. Not many people had pools. We swam in creeks and rivers and lakes. And I just remember being so embarrassed, so horrified that this nerdy kid was hanging out with me. He looked nerdy, he sounded nerdy, he said nerdy things. He was the most unhip kid I could imagine, and I was stuck with him, tied to my waist for a, for a month. And then he went home, and I've seen him a handful of times since, but I never thought much of it. And some 10, 15 years later... I heard him, I, I can't remember exactly how I heard it, but it might have been him telling uh, our family gatherings. You know, they were all family friends, and there was a gathering, and he was there. And he said, no, I, 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 I became an active Christian. He grew up baptized, but just never, never pressed the on button, right? Just kind of sat there and did his thing. And he says, yeah, I, I, I really became a Christian. I don't remember how he phrased it, but I, you know, I activated my faith and, and got serious about God because of the witness of Brian that summer when I spent with you. I said, who? 
God used me even when I was angry, resentful, and stupid. So imagine what he can do if we're available. We say, yeah, God, I'm going to walk out there. I'm going to carry my faith with me. You don't have to try to be a nerd. Trust me. As one of my friends says, look, we're weird enough. We don't have to try harder. I mean, for heaven's sake, I wear a dress every day. Um, But God can use us. Um, And I'll close with one of my funnies from college days at Bible school. I was at a very uptight Bible school, and chapels were boring as all get out. And one time this guy told the story of Balaam's ass. And I swear to you, he said, if God can use Balaam's ass, he can sure use yours. (laughs) Amen.